Good morning. Please turn with me in your copy of God's Word to the 23rd Psalm. It's a joy to be together on the Lord's Day, opening the Lord's book, singing the Lord's praises, reminding ourselves of our Lord's goodness. As I had been considering what to preach for these three Sunday mornings, I had taken notice of a common theme among many of the people with whom I had been speaking. Many of the people from church with whom I had been speaking, either in person or in the phone, gave me the distinct impression that they were weary. Weary of isolation and quarantine, weary of bad news and of bad reports, weary of sickness and death, weary of injustice and murder and riots and everything else. Weary of sin. And you probably feel this too. This is a wearying time in the life of God's people. And I thought it would be encouraging for us and edifying for us to spend some time in the 23rd Psalm, one of the sweetest, most tender portions of Scripture. I know that when I am weary and I feel assaulted by the ploys of the evil one, I find myself often drawn back to this psalm. And so over the next three weeks, we'll be working our way through these wonderful verses, and my hope is that we will all be encouraged, that we'll have our strength, our faith strengthened, and we'll have our eyes again fixed on our Good Shepherd. So let's read Psalm 23, and I'll be focusing mainly on the first verse today. Hear the word of our Lord. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for You are with me. Your rod and Your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Thus ends the reading of God's perfect and holy word. Let's pray. Holy Father, we ask that you would feed us today from your word, that you would lead us beside still waters again, and you would restore our souls. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. I'd like to begin by looking at the identity of the shepherd in this psalm. The identity of the shepherd. David tells us that the Lord is his shepherd. And we need to know exactly who he's talking about. And significantly for us, he doesn't just use the generic word for God. He doesn't say, God is my shepherd, or El, or Elohim is my shepherd, though he certainly could have. And that helps us. It clarifies for us. The name he uses here, the word translated Lord, probably in all caps in your Bibles, is the covenantal name for God. It is Yahweh. And that's important for us. We can't just interpret any other name for God here. We can't say that God generically is our shepherd, or even Baal is our shepherd, or Allah is our shepherd, or the, the sense of the divine is our shepherd. No, there is a personal 
being. It's the God of the nation of Israel, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. That's who our shepherd, and that is important because this name reveals to us important aspects of God's nature and character. It tells us important things about the one who is shepherding us. If you remember back to Exodus chapter 3 and the story of Moses and the burning bush, God calls Moses to go back to Egypt and to tell Pharaoh, let my people go. And Moses asked God, well, what do I say if people ask me who sent you? What's his name? And God responds with the name that we pronounce Yahweh, which we struggle to translate into English. We don't have the English words that can do justice to the name. Right? Some translations say, I am that I am. Some say, I am who I am. Or even, I am that which I am. The words don't adequately convey the fullness of what's being bound up in this name of God. We're taking the finite, trying to describe the infinite. But we can know something of this being. The name of God tells us that God is eternal. He doesn't have a beginning. He doesn't have an end. There's nothing that gave birth to Him that gave rise to Him. Nothing that can outlast Him. Further, He necessarily exists. He's not contingent upon someone else or anything else. Right? Unlike us, we are contingent upon getting enough food and getting sleep and having good health. But God is necessarily existent. I am that I am. His being is not limited or contingent upon being fed or having the right health or getting enough sleep. He has always and will always exist. There's nothing upstream of God which, if shut off, would turn God off downstream. He's the fountainhead, the source, the alpha, the beginning, the originator. And if we press that even further, it means that all things outside of God are necessarily contingent upon Him. If He is the beginning, then all that exists, exists because of Him. God is eternal, not contingent upon anyone else. And further, He is unchanging. God is not acted upon by any other thing. There's nothing within Him that needs to change. He is immutable, as theologians say. He does not change. He's not evolving and getting better. He's not learning. He's not growing. Because if He were, that would mean He wasn't perfect before. He doesn't need to grow. He doesn't need to improve. He is that He is. All of that and more is packed into this name. And that's what the Lord... That's the Lord that David is saying is his shepherd here in our text. Yahweh is his shepherd, which is great news for the sheep. The shepherd is eternal. He is all-powerful, all-knowing, all-seeing, all-good. He is ever-merciful. He's ever-just. He's overflowing with steadfast love. He's unchanging, never resting, never defeated. His plans are never thwarted. His ends are never corrupted. His goals are always achieved and His enemies are always defeated. That's the God that David is saying is His shepherd. And that's good news. But the Bible tells us even more about this God. And if you've noticed carefully, I haven't said anything about Yahweh in this sermon that a Jew could not affirm. But we're not Jews. We're Christians. And we're to read all of our Bible in a Christian way. Yahweh further reveals to us about His nature in the New Testament. 
Jesus comes and he says to the Pharisees in John chapter 8, when asked about his identity, about who he was, he says, before Abraham was, I am. That seems like a strange statement to us. Like a madman who is simply proclaiming he was around before Abraham, who lived many hundreds of years before. But that's not what he's doing, and the Pharisees knew it. They knew exactly what he was doing. They knew what he was saying. He was taking for himself the I Am, the name that is holy and revered, the name for God Himself. He was putting Himself on par with Yahweh, the God whose name the Pharisees didn't even want to utter. And how do we know that the Pharisees understood what Jesus was doing? Because they picked up rocks and they wanted to stone Him right there. You don't pick up rocks and try and stone a crazy man for uttering gibberish. You pick up rocks to stone a blasphemer. And that's what they thought He was doing. But He wasn't. Jesus, the perfect Son of God, is one with God, sharing fully in the divine nature, and thus is fully and truly Yahweh. Jesus is our shepherd. And even as he, he tells us as much two chapters later in John when he says, I am the good shepherd. The writer of Hebrews uses the same language in Hebrews 13.20 when he writes his benediction. He says, now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep. Jesus is our great shepherd. Jesus leads us beside still waters. Jesus restores our souls. He leads us in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. He's with us in the valley of the shadow of death. It is His rod and His staff that comfort us. He prepares a table before us. He anoints our heads with oil. He follows us with goodness and mercy all the days of our lives. And we will dwell in His house forever. Who is this shepherd? It is Yahweh it is Jesus, our good shepherd. And so now that we've clarified the identity of our shepherd, I'd like to spend the rest of our time looking at the work of our shepherd. The work of our shepherd. The Bible talks about several relationships in our lives in terms of shepherding. Pastors are called shepherds over the flocks of individual congregation. Pastors are under shepherds, as it were, under the great shepherd. One pastor has even called his vocation the role of a sheepdog, whose job it is is to point the attention of the sheep back to the great shepherd using the word of God. Husbands are under shepherds of their little flock, their families, and their work is to point their families back to the great shepherd. Indeed, even the word husband or husbandry has been used in the past to describe the care of animals care of flocks. Shepherds have a vital role to play. They have an important work to do if they are to be faithful in maintaining their flocks. Shepherds have to first, they have to know their sheep. Shepherds have to know their sheep. They have to know their abilities. They have to know their temperaments. They have to know the likelihood of them wandering off and getting lost or getting stuck in the thorny bushes. They have to know how much and what kind of nourishment the sheep need. They have to know the kinds of things that are good for them and what kinds of things aren't. Shepherd has to know where the enemies of the sheep are, what kind of dangers are out there and where those threats lie. They have to know the land, where the sheep need to be taken and where they need to avoid. All of this is crucial if they're to care, care well for the flock. 
shepherd has to know the sheep. He has to know the condition of his flock if he is to be faithful. Secondly, a shepherd can't merely stop at knowing his sheep. He must do the work of feeding his sheep. A shepherd must feed his sheep. The sheep need to be taken where there's plenty of nourishing grass. And they need to be steered from plants that can make them sick or poison them. They need constant tending. They need to be moved from one place to the other so they can have a steady diet of green food. They also need to be watered. They need to be led back to safe, clean drinking water over and over. A shepherd must faithfully feed his flock. Third, not only must he know and feed his flock, he must care for his sheep. A shepherd must care for his sheep. He has to take care for their safety. Protect them from the threats that are constantly watching over the flock. His eyes have to dart to and fro in order to detect the first sign of danger, like predators. Additionally, he has to protect the flock from Thorny thickets. Sheep are notoriously hard-headed. And they'll get themselves stuck up on a rocky ledge or down in a briar patch. And they'll be helpless. They'll be vulnerable, open to attack. And a shepherd has to care for his flock by often extricating the sheep from such dangerous situations. Further, he has to care for the health of the flock. He has to make sure their diet is proper. He has to give them what they need when they're sick. Give them whatever is needful for them to recover and make sure that whatever supplies are required are appropriately in supply. So a shepherd must know, feed, and care for his sheep if he is to be a good shepherd. And Brothers and sisters, I want to encourage us this morning by remembering how Jesus is a good shepherd. Jesus first knows his sheep. Jesus knows his sheep. He says in John 10, 27, My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I know them, he says. Jesus knows us inside and out. He knows what kind of sheep we are. He knows what kind of trouble we've gotten in. He knows the sinful and foolish things that we've done and what kind of mess we've made of our lives. He knows what kind of evil thoughts we've had, what kind of selfish actions we've done. He knows. He knows how often we covet the greener grass of another shepherd's field. He knows how we nip and bite at the other sheep. He knows. And the good news for his sheep is that even with all of this intimate knowledge of all of our sin, he still calls us his sheep. We're not His sheep because we are the best sheep. Because we have the cleanest, shiniest wool. Not because we're the most well-behaved. Not because we follow Him the closest or listen to Him the best. We're His sheep because He has chosen to put us in His flock. Our Good Shepherd picks sheep for Himself that are broken. That are dirty. That are the sickly sheep of this world. And He places them within His fold. He chooses the foolish things of this world to shame the wise, as Paul says. Which means he chooses the sheep that nobody would want and he makes them his prized flock. Even more than that, he knows these, he picks these foolish and sickly sheep knowing them completely. 
He knows that we'll be tempted to wander off again, how we'll be tempted to go back to the polluted and contaminated streams of this world, and yet he still chooses those sheep. He's not surprised. He's not short-tempered. He is a patient shepherd. He is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Because our shepherd is Yahweh. Our shepherd is Jesus Christ. And he's the good shepherd that knows us. Further, like I said above, a good shepherd not only knows his flock, but he is faithful to feed his flock. Jesus is faithful to feed his flock. As I said before, shepherds or sheep can be notoriously hard-headed. We can be stubborn. We think we know what's best. Just like a sheep that thinks that green stuff over there that looks best, even though that green stuff might make them sick, we too think we know what's best and we want to go after that over there. We forget that we have a good shepherd. We forget that the Lord is our shepherd and that we shall not want. We forget that he knows, he knows us better than we even know ourselves and he knows what we need and where we need to go and what we need to eat and when we need to eat it. But we get frustrated. We see other sheep over there eating greener grass than us and we get angry and jealous. Why do they get that green grass? I want it. Why do they always get the good stuff and I'm stuck with the old dry hay? Why do they always get the prettier pastures and get to drink from the clearer streams? Why do they get to lie down in quiet meadows while I'm sitting over here unwashed and unshorn and eating stubble? This isn't fair. And in our disgruntled pouting, we begin to wander off and we try and feed ourselves. We try to fill our bellies with all sorts of weeds from this world. Weeds that taste sweet at first. And they're everywhere. They're plentiful over here. They're colorful weeds. They're tasty. They're not like the boring food that my mean old shepherd used to give me. But before long we realize that these weeds do not satisfy no matter how much I eat of the weeds of this world, I'm never full. And the more and the more I eat, the more my stomach is churning within me. I get sick. I try to feed my soul with ambition and success or with craving attention from others or with sensuality or with self-righteous gossip and dissension or with greed and possessions. Whatever the weed of this world is, we have all tasted it. And we've learned that these weeds can never satisfy and they always end up making us sick. I'm sure you've tasted it. Maybe you're tasting it right now. You've been nibbling on some of the forbidden weeds and you've just started to taste its bitterness. Or maybe you've been chowing down on toxic weeds for years and you're desperate for something to satisfy your cravings without making you feel sick. Well, dear ones, I want to encourage us by remembering that Jesus Christ is a faithful shepherd that feeds his flock. He knows what they need and he provided it for them. In John 6, Jesus proclaims to the crowd, I am the bread of life and whoever comes to me shall never hunger and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. He goes on to say, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. 
I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, but they died. This bread, this is the bread that comes from heaven so that you may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that comes down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Christ has perfectly provided all the food that we could ever need. His food is heavenly food, celestial food like we just sang, a spiritual food. It's a food that can never perish. It can never spoil. It's ever satisfying. His food is the sacrificial death that he died in the place of his people, plus the perfect life of righteousness that he lived before God. His life was everything that we should do, but don't. And his death was everything that we have earned, but don't get. What shepherd would do such a thing? What shepherd would lay down his life for the sheep? Only the good shepherd. That's who. You see, he can make us lie down in green pastures because he's already crossed the barren desert of the grave. Jesus can lead us beside still waters because he's already calmed the raging waters of death. He can restore our souls because he's felt the anguish of death in his own soul. He has put his flesh in the place that we deserved on the cross and he's given to us the right to eternal life that he has earned. He has died so that we might have life. He's felt grief so that we might have green pastures. He has fed his sheep perfectly at the cost of his own life so that we foolish sheep might have a perfect diet of heavenly bread. See, when we realize the great love with which he loves the sheep and the great cost that he's paid in our place and the security that we have with him as our good shepherd, it stirs us again with love for our great shepherd. Don't you want to stick near to such a shepherd? Don't you want to linger in his arms and eat only of his good food? And turn away again from the sick filth and the weeds of this world and run again to our good shepherd. Believe in his word and his life and trust in his promises and hear again of his great love for you. Put off the weeds of this age that can never satisfy and will only turn to gravel in your mouth. Christ is our great shepherd who has perfectly provided the food that we need. Third, not only is Christ, does Christ know his sheep and feed his sheep, but he also cares for his sheep. Christ is the good shepherd that cares for his sheep. And sheep can be pretty easy to watch over when things are going well. right? When everybody is in the fenced-in pasture and the skies are blue and the grass is green and the stream is full. But when things aren't so perfect, sheep can get anxious. They get antsy. They get rowdy and rambunctious. They begin to bleat and to bite. They begin to run off. They begin to ignore the shepherd and charge at the sheepdogs and get themselves in trouble. But we're not so different. When this world gets rough, when the skies get dark and the thunder's close, and you look around and you can't see your shepherd, you don't feel him near to you, you're tempted to panic. You don't feel God's presence. You forget His promises. We're like Peter. We're focused on the waves rather than looking at Christ. We begin to sink and we panic. 
We're listening to the lies of Satan. Those fiery darts that Scripture calls them. He's not your shepherd. He's forgotten about you. He's not good to you anymore. You must not be part of his flock. Satan's tempting you to strike it out on your own. You can do it. You can be your own shepherd. Shepherding's not that hard anyway. You can feed, your, feed yourself, find your own pastures. Surely there'll be some still waters over there that you can find. You don't need your soul restored. Your soul's just fine. He's abandoned you. And good riddance, you didn't need him anyway. Every one of those lies come with a hiss. And they're an echo of that first damnable lie from the garden. Has God really said? Satan wants you to forget what God has said to you and to ignore what he has promised and to forsake what he has provided for you. But don't do it. Don't give in. Don't listen to the lies. There's a reason why the six verses of this psalm are probably the most memorized six verses in all of Scripture. When you don't sense the presence of your shepherd, remember this psalm. Put it deep in your heart so you have it ready when those dark times come. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Keep it close in your heart. Christ is our shepherd and we have to remember that. That he cares for his sheep. He doesn't forget about his sheep. He hasn't forgotten about you. Remember the words of our Savior. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He says later in John 10, My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. We are perfectly protected by our good shepherd in his flock. There's nothing left for us to do when we feel like we've wandered off when we feel like we're out of the sight of our shepherd and we can no longer feel his presence, we have to remind ourselves that Christ's sheep are secure. No one can snatch them away. No sin can remove you from his flock. You are his sheep. You are anointed by his spirit of adoption. Not because of your faithfulness as a sheep, but because Christ is the faithful shepherd that has laid down his life for his sheep. Linger upon these sweet promises and remind yourselves of these truths often. When your green pastures have been turned into the valley of the shadow of death, we can have bold assurance because our shepherd has been there before. He knows what we're walking through and he can sympathize with us. He's not a shepherd that drives from behind barking, us, barking orders at us and whacking us with his staff. He's leading us from the front. He's calling us with his gentle voice, the voice that we all know. We all love to hear. He's guiding us down the necessary path, a path that leads to our eternal joy in His presence. Christ is our good shepherd who leads us, who guides us, and who cares for us. I want to close with a reflection upon what might be the most important part of this verse. It's the two little letters in the word my. 
The Lord is my shepherd. This psalm is written by David who has the Lord as his shepherd. And I preached it thus far offering promises to all of Christ's sheep. But some of you cannot read that psalm in such a way. If you have not Christ as your shepherd, then this psalm should terrify you. Let's read this psalm again, but read it as if the Lord is not your shepherd. The Lord is not my shepherd. I shall have want. No one is here to make me lie down in green pastures. I have no guide, and the waters are raging. Who will restore my soul? I'm left to guess at which are the paths of righteousness, and I'll do it on my own. When I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will quiver in fear for the evil that comes upon me. I am alone. Your rod and your staff, they terrify me. You prepare a grave before me in the presence of all. You cover my head with a burial shroud. My cup has run dry. Surely wickedness and cruelty will follow me all the days of my life, and I shall die alone in the grave forever. Dear ones, if you have not the Lord as your shepherd, then know that you will have him as your judge. He knows you inside and out, warts and all. He knows that you've broken every part of his law. How you've rejected and ignored his offers. You've put off his mercy. I plead with you, don't wait any longer. Come to him this very day. His offer of forgiveness and acceptance stands for any that would come to him. He's the good shepherd that delights in restoring weak and broken sheep. Don't wait until you've washed yourself or cleaned yourself up. Come to him today. Look to him by faith and believe his promises. Forsake the filth of this world and come and graze in his pasture of goodness. He is our good shepherd. And for us believers, I want to close with a final encouragement. It's an extended illustration or a picture written by an old missionary about 150 years ago about the truth of this psalm and the different kinds of sheep that are in his flock. He writes, Come, come down to the river. There's something ahead worth seeing. Yon shepherd is about to lead his flock across the river. And as our Lord says of the good shepherd, you see that he goes before and the sheep follow. Not all sheep follow in the same manner, however. Some enter boldly and come straight across. These are the loved ones of the flock who keep hard by the footsteps of the shepherd, whether strolling through the green meadows or by the still waters or feeding upon the mountains or resting at noon beneath the shadow of the great rocks. And now other sheep enter, but this time in doubt and in alarm. Far from their guide, they miss the crossing and they're carried down river, some more, some less. And yet one by one, they all struggle and make it over to their good landing. Now notice the little lambs. They refuse to enter. They must be driven into the stream by the sheepdogs. Poor things, how they lap and they 
plunge and they bleat in terror. And that weak one over there, yonder will be swept quite away and perish in the sea. But no, the shepherd himself leaps into the stream and he lifts the little lamb to his bosom and he bears it trembling to the shore. All safely over, how happy they all appear. The lambs frisk and gambol about in high spirits and the older ones gather around their faithful guide and they look up to him in subdued but expressive thankfulness. Now can you watch such a stream and not think of that shepherd who leads Israel like a flock? And can you not think of another river which all of his sheep must cross? He too goes before and as is the case of this flock, They who keep near to him fear no evil. They hear his sweet voice from Isaiah 43, 2, saying, When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. With eye fastened upon him, they scarcely even see the stream or even feel its cold and threatening waves. See, regardless of the sheep that you most resemble in that story, either the faithful ones with eyes fixed upon the shepherd or the trembling little lamb that needs to be carried by the shepherd, remember that all of his flock will safely reach the other side and that he leads us only through valleys that he's already traveled. Let's pray. Holy Father, we thank you for the truth found in your word. We thank you for the good shepherd who was faithful in our place, and we thank you for his care over us. How we shall not want because of his faithful provision. Lord, give us faith during the trials of this life, through the valleys, to know that you are with us. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand together as we sing the Lamb of God.